We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 80 of the Biohacker Babes. I'm Lauren. I'm here in snowy New York City, and I'm joined by my sister, Renee. Hey there. I'm super jealous of your snowy day today. Oh, please. I'm always (laughs) jealous of your sun and your warm, sunny days. Paybacks. Yeah, exactly. Just give me a snow day. Thanks. (laughs) You earned it. Oh, I appreciate that. (laughs) So we are here continuing our conversation about hormones, specifically female hormones. We've been doing a lot of that uh, at the beginning of this year, and we're going to continue that by bringing on our friend, Sophie Shepard. She is going to talk all about women's hormones, specifically PCOS. I consider her an expert in this area that is not necessarily in our wheelhouse. So she is going to tell you everything you need to know about PCOS. I think she's really incredible, such um, an amazing, caring soul. And her journey into health and wellness is, is really special. So She's a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner like me. That's how we met. And we're going to have a nice little female chat today. Yeah. Her knowledge is incredible on this topic. I mean, I learned so much from her. I mean, way more than I ever learned in school and trainings. I mean, she is so knowledgeable on this topic. And she's also so passionate. Like you said, her journey that got her to where she is today, like you can just feel that passion and compassion and energy. Um, she's just so motivated to help women. It's amazing. Yeah. I think it's really awesome that she totally gets away from this idea that PCOS or any type of like syndrome or disease that women experience is caused by one thing. And we're taught that as FDNs that there are root causes. There's not just one. And she really explains it so beautifully. So So excited to share this conversation with you. Before we get started, here's her bio. So Sophie Shepard is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and the founder of She Talks Health, the creator of She Talks Health podcast and the co-creator of Empower Her, a 12-week gut and hormone restoration program. Sophie helps women around the globe transform their menstrual and digestive health through a combination of root cause diagnostic testing and nutrition and lifestyle science so they can finally have a straightforward answer to most their most mystifying symptoms. Sophie's mission is to educate and empower women so they can reclaim their health and get their lives back. So awesome. When you finish this podcast, you have to go over to her podcast, She Talks Health. Make sure you subscribe and listen because she has some really awesome episodes. So you can go to a little little more in-depth on this topic. So, all right, let's bring Sophie on. Welcome, Sophie. Happy Monday. I know you're usually in NYC, but where are you right now? I am in Jacksonville, Florida with my mom and dad. We're kind of spending extra time here because it's like a spa. So we're enjoying our time here in Jacksonville, Florida. I love it. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm I just love you guys so much. So I'm really excited to be here. Amazing. Aww. So we're excited to have you. Yes. I so this was kind of happenstance that I met you. I feel like we were probably running in the same circles for a few years in New York City. 
Um, you were in theater, you were a stage manager on Broadway. I'm sure we passed each other on the street. But I know. On like 44th and Broadway or 44th and 7th Avenue or something. All of it. Yeah. But our other connection is FDN. So we're both functional diagnostic nutrition practitioners and the live conference that happened last year in October was on Zoom, which is actually one of my favorite live conferences. I felt like they did such a great job. And I had one of the Zooms up on this big screen and I was with my friend Freddie and he was looking at all the squares of people and he was like, Sophie, I know her. I was like, tell me <laughs> <love> everything. <laughs> So we got connected through our friend, Freddie, which is amazing. So now you are here. That's my little story. (laughs) Yeah. Another functional, amazing man. I'm so excited that he connected us and we have all these crazy connections too. Like I love the theater background thing. It's like rare to find another FDN who's (laughs) also a theater nerd. I'm sure we're the only ones. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we are. (laughs) Yeah. Anyone else out there? (laughs) Yeah. Please tune in. Please um, come find us. But anyways, I just think that your story is so incredible of how you uh, came into your career on Broadway and then totally transformed into this amazing health coach. And you are really finessing the women's health movement, I'll say. So um, I would love to talk to you about PCOS and everything women's health today. But can you tell us how you got started your own health journey that really kind of spiraled this journey? Yes, absolutely. How much time do you have now? <laughs> 45 <laughs> minutes later. Um, I I think my health journey started when I was a kid. You know, I I had been dealing with GI issues since I was young, young. And I it kind of came to a head at 16 when I was drinking water and I literally was bent over in pain because it was just so unbelievably painful for me to put anything down my, my in my mouth. And, um, I went to the GI doctor and I got the, um, what I'll, what I'll call, um, a ridiculous diagnosis, which is IBS. I always say, if you remove the eye and you know what the diagnosis is and it's just, it's basically BS. I was a kid, you know? Um, and so I just followed their advice to take an acid reducer, um, and to avoid acidic foods and it didn't work. And I felt terrible. And I was the girl in theater school running to the bathroom because I had diarrhea or I had, you know, something going on, um, because I, you know, ate a salad or something, you know, it was like, it was so random and unpredictable. Um, and I just kind of suffered through that and thought that was, my lot in life and thought that that's, I was just going to be that girl. And, and then I, I got out of college and I got into kind of my first adult relationship with a man who turned out to be, um, a narcissistic verbal abusing person. (laughs) And it just toppled everything. I mean, the stress from that just kind of toppled everything. I ended up developing Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is of course, autoimmune thyroid disease. And, um, yeah, I was told I was just depressed. I mean, a million things, my hair started falling out. Um, my nails are brittle and breaking. I was really depressed, like suicidally depressed. I even, um, attempted, um, a couple of times to end my life because I was that depressed and, um, my GI issues were worse than ever. I was 40 pounds heavier than I am today. And I really couldn't get out of bed. Even if I slept for you know, 12 hours, I was exhausted, pretty classic, um, Hashimoto's story. And I was put on medication. It only worked a little bit and only for about six months. And when I went back to my doctor to get more medication, cause I, I assumed that's what I would need. She just told me that there was nothing wrong with my thyroid and that I would just have to live with this. And there was nothing else she could do for me. And that I should go see a psychiatrist for depression medication. And I, I was 22. Wow. <laughs> and I said, you know, so I don't this. Yeah. So young, so young. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. I refuse to feel like an 80 year old woman at 22. There has to be something else. And she just had nothing for me. And that's kind of where I went on, you know, down the Dr. Google rabbit hole that so many of our clients, I feel like go down and eventually found a functional medicine doctor. And he was like, you've got leaky gut. You've got all this stuff going on in your gut. It's not your thyroid. It's the stress and it's your gut. And it's, you know, all these things. And, um, uh, he healed me. He, he helped me heal. Um, and I, uh, kind of never really looked back and, um, transitioned careers and decided that I really wanted to pay it forward and, and help women to understand their bodies better and to get access to information that I 
wasn't being told that, that I wish I'd had when I was that young and impressionable and confused and scared and sick. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Mm, yeah. Amazing. I mean, you're definitely not alone in that journey. Like uh, so many women are suffering like this, unfortunately. So many. And I yeah. mean, I think that's great that you actually found a functional medicine practitioner that could help you. I think even that is sometimes hard to find for people. Like you said, they end up going down Dr. Google and don't even know where to begin. Yeah. You know, and I think something I always try to do in my programs now is just be fully there for my clients. I take that really seriously because even though I found a doctor that did help me and I, you know, I owe him my life, he wasn't in a place where he could sit there and coach me. And as coaches, we know how important it is to have accountability and love and a cheerleader in your health corner. And he basically put me on autoimmune protocol with a crap ton of um, uh, supplements. And I was like off to do it myself. And that was really, really hard. It was really hard to do that by myself. So I think, yeah. you know, um, everyone's different, but I, I would have loved to have somebody kind of with me th through the journey. Yeah. That's yeah. the amazing piece about health practitioners. We get to bridge the gap because you go to your doctor wait for five seconds, you come home <laughs> now. What? So how exactly, did you know yeah. to take that next step? Obviously you wanted to pay this forward and, and be that missing piece that you didn't have yourself. So, um, can you tell us your journey into, uh, your education and how did you decide that you wanted to focus on women? Obviously yeah. female, but this is such a, a niche thing and such a much, much needed area of there's two kind of stories here. One is I, you know, obviously was sick myself and, and then I trans I, that. So that's when I transitioned from a Broadway stage manager into event planning, because I, I was like, well, I need to make money and blah, blah, blah. And it occurred to me to go to nutrition school or do something at that time. But I was like, I can't afford it. I have no money. I work in theater. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I did this events job. And um, while I was on an event, I think I was about a year into the job I was down in Texas. And, um, the keynote speaker was the key lobbyist for Monsanto. Mm. And instead of flowers and candles as the centerpiece of the table, there was boxes of Roundup Ready pesticides or herbicide. And he was standing up there talking about how, how organic food wasn't better and you should buy my product. I mean, he had five, like hundred tables of conventional farmers in front of him. And I kind of ripped my headset off and I just turned to my pro producer and was like, I cannot be in this room and I went up to my hotel room and I put my um, health coaching, my my first health coaching school on a credit card. I couldn't afford it at all. And I was just like, I have to be part of the solution, not the problem. <laughs> wow. I just got That's chills. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. There's it was no way profound. I could stand in that room either. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine. Yeah. I was like, I can't be getting this guy coffee, <laughs> you know, cause I was yeah. coming from theater. So I was, you know, wrangling speakers and helping them with their presentation. I'm like, that, can't, that cannot be my job if it's for people like this. And yeah, so, yeah, so that was like the, so then I, I, I still didn't have money. So I, <laughs> I put myself through, um, the Institute for Integrative Nut um, Nutrition School for health coaching while I was working like 60 hours plus, you know, flying all over the country, doing this crazy events job. Um, quit my job, <laughs> took the bonus, and um, and then tried to figure out how to be a health coach, <laughs> which was also its own struggle. And in that figuring that out, I was like, well, who who do I want to serve? And you know, just kept coming back. Like, women need help. I mean, everyone needs help. <laughs> women my age needed help. There was so much. It seemed like there was a lot of support for fertility, and there was a lot of support for different conditions at that point, but there wasn't kind of support for a woman who was struggling with their mental health and their period and their gut health. And, and this kind of triad of a woman who is dealing with all these things, thinking it's completely disconnected, all these different symptoms. And she's just trying to be a good mom and be a good uh, wife or a partner or be, you know, a uh, kick-ass entrepreneur or whatever, like women are wearing all these hats and their health is falling into the toilet and they have a lack of support. Um, and so I just thought, well, if I could educate and empower women the way I wish I had been guided, that could really change the world because, mm -hmm. you know, women run the world. <laughs> That's right. True story. <laughs>
So, and I just got fascinated yeah. with like the menstrual cycle and hormones and the intricacies of everything, having dealt with all my thyroid stuff and then having dealt with um, some ovarian cysts that burst. And I was basically being constantly told I had to be on birth control over and over and over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. I was like, there are other ways. And when I started lo- learning out a women's re- a reproductive health, I just, I just got fascinated. And I was like, oh, I, this is something I could talk about every single day <laughs> and be happy. Yeah. That's your calling right there then. Yeah. Yeah. That's when yeah. you know. Amazing. Okay. So PCOS, this is your wheelhouse. You are like, I consider you an expert in this field. There was a lot of confusion about what PCOS is, how we get it, how we manage it. Can you break this down for us? How do we qualify a diagnosis? What are we looking for? Can you give us the one-on-one? I can. And it's, I wish it was like, it's this one thing, but <laughs> but there is, there's a lot of yeah. confusion. So um, I can yeah. explain how, how I think about it and how I think a lot of functional you know, doctors think about it. I've talked to a lot of um, OBGYNs that are, you know, integrative OBGYNs about this. And yeah, it is so common. First of all, I think, you know, it's the most common reproductive issue. And I think it is the most, if not like second most common reason for infertility, but PCOS stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. And I think the first thing to say is it's a syndrome, not a disease. And that means it's a collection of symptoms And that also means that in order for a physician to diagnose someone with PCOS, they have to rule out other potential causes of these symptoms um, and identify kind of a a grouping of symptoms. And that's where the controversy and the confusion kind of comes into play because there is there are different people saying different things about what are those exact symptoms or diagnostic criteria needed to make a PCOS diagnosis. And there seems to be such a huge range of women dealing with all sorts of kind of PCOS related fallout symptoms. I mean, there's just a laundry list. So I've even had women tell me, you know, I think I have PCOS. Like one doctor told me I did, the other said I didn't. And I always kind of walk them through the reasoning that made the most sense to me, because again, there's multiple kind of definitions, but you know, I think, how do we know? So let's talk about the kind of maybe the symptoms and, and how someone might go about talking to their doctor about this. So the androgen excess and PCOS society has a definition that I find particularly helpful. And it was actually recently reaffirmed if I'm not mistaken at the like international symposium for, um, research excellence in, in PCOS, um, or polycystic ovary syndrome recently, a couple of years ago. And according to them, PCOS is diagnosed if the follow if a woman has the following things. Number one, she must have what's called hyperandrogenism, which I can never say <laughs> one word. Um, Tongue tied. But that basically means, as I'm sure you guys know, because I know you you talk about all these biohacking things for women and and, and people. Um, but hyperandrogenism um, basically means a whole lot of male sex hormones. Now we, we, we have male sex hormones. It's kind of a weird misnomer because women have testosterone, right? Um, but we just don't have it. Uh, we, we shouldn't have it in the quantities that is present with someone who has PCOS. So this is really key. You can diagnose that either through symptomology or through um, a blood test, basically, that shows someone has high androgens or high male sex hormones. And the symptom presentation would be include things like acne or unwanted hair in places that you would normally see them on a man, right? So the mm-hmm. face, the chest, yeah. upper lip, um, but also basically male pattern baldness, like you know, thinning of the hair on the scalp. So those are some of the um, symptom criteria that someone might look at um, and or asking their doctor for a, a test to see if they have a lot of andro- androgens. So losing hair where we want it and gaining hair where we don't want it, basically. That yeah, sounds fun, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely yeah. challenging. And that is only one part of the criteria. So the other is an and or situation. So this, this definition says you, you have to have the hyperandrogenism but you also have to have one or two of the following things. Number one, an irregular or absent menstrual cycle. And irregular is defined by anything less frequent than every 35 days or more frequent than 21 days or bleeding that lasts for longer than seven days. Um, or also bleeding that just varies completely like women who might have 
you know, two days of bleeding and then 10 days of bleeding. And it's kind of all over the place. So an irregular or absent menstrual cycle and, or polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound. And this one is confused. This is where people get really confused. and I will try to explain it. <laughs> polycystic ovaries do not cause polycystic ovary syndrome. It's actually, there's a lot of debate about even just changing the name to be more about the high male sex hormones or something else, because it's not a great descriptor because they are, they can be the result of having the syndrome. So the way that I like to explain this is, and this hopefully is going to give your listeners also a background of how women's cycle works is that, you know, every month a woman's ovaries are full of follicles that contain an immature egg. And as you prepare for ovulation, your body readies the egg by having the brain signal to the ovaries with follicle stimulating hormone, FSH and estrogen, and things start building up, right? And it's this race to ovulation. And when ovulation occurs, it's because there has been one follicle and one egg chosen. And there's a bursting of that egg from the follicle caused by the brain communicating with the ovaries and and having this hormone cascade. So when that one follicle is chosen, what's supposed to happen is other follicles kind of shrivel up and they fall back. And in women with PCOS, no specific follicle gets recruited oftentimes. And so then there's no ovulatory event. And then there's all these extra large number of developing follicles that exist because no ovulation happened. And that is one of the reasons why it was, it was, I believe named polycystic ovary syndrome, because there's kind of all these okay. <laughs> leftover, like never ovulated follicles and eggs. And it's also the reason why people who have PCOS have a lot of trouble getting pregnant because of course you cannot get pregnant if you do not ovulate properly. Mm. So they're just kind of hanging out. And then we blame that situation rather than looking at the root causes, we'll say, because there's multiple. There are multiple. So I hope that makes sense. It's basically kind of three-step process. Yeah. That was the best explanation I've ever received. So thank you. So I'm curious, is it, would you say it's misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed a lot? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'll give you an example. I have, I had a client who lost her period and she came to me after three months and we were about on month two, I think. And her, she went to her OBGYN and her doctor was like, you have PCOS. And it was just done through an ultrasound. And I, I always love Dr. Lara Bryden. She talks about PCOS in a beautiful way. And I love how she kind of says that one of the, I think, confusing things is that even our technology of ultrasound has gotten so much better. So I think there's a medical criteria and I'm not sure exactly what the number is, but it's like, if there's a certain <laughs> number of follicles or something, or um, then, then that is meant to be PCOS. But she, she makes the argument that our instrumentation has gotten so much better that there's probably always a lot there um, mm. to begin with. So I think you know, I always tell my clients, like, you know, maybe just t- chat with your doctor about what is their criteria for diagnosing PCOS. And so you can understand if that kind of aligns with what you're comfortable with. And of course, you can always get a second opinion. And I think it's also just really important to note that one of the other criteria that some of the definitions go by is that doctors must also rule out other serious conditions, for example, like Cushing's syndrome or adrenal hyperplasia or like an endocrine tumor. So it's usually not that, right? Those are very rare. And PCOS mm-hmm. is very, very common. But it is worth noting that one of some of the definitions do talk about, you know, basically a diagnostic uh, diagnosis by exclusion. Um, right. So I, I always just yeah. think it's good to know all those things and kind of start to ask your doctor, you know, how are you diagnosing this? Like, can I get it? Can I get a test for my androgens just to know what my hormones are saying? And just kind of see what you feel comfortable with when you've done that research and, and talk to your doctor about it. Yeah. yeah it sounds amazing. like you, you really need to know what to ask your doctor and kind of be yes. your own advocate. <laughs> Always. I yeah. Think. Yeah. That's something I try to teach my, my ladies a lot. Right. I guess that's with any, with any health issue, it's good to know what questions to ask. I, I'm remembering a client I got a few years ago that came to me and she said, I think I have PCOS. And while she was working with me on nutrition, she went to her doctor, got all the testing, ended up being endometriosis. And it's just like interesting to see like such a shift after, you know, seeing so many doctors and then going to a new doctor and 
I mean, she went through like such a crazy journey for probably three years before she even got the right diagnosis. I know we're talking about a different actually, thing, but. Well, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's relevant and it's actually really sad that that is about a third of the time that it takes most women to get an endometriosis diagnosis. It takes most women about 10 years. And if you're black wow. or brown, I think it's longer, like 12 years to get a, wow. a proper endometriosis diagnosis. So I think, yeah, mm. I, it's, um, it is kind of crazy. And unfortunately, like I hear that type of story all the time. Um, And I have a few clients right now who have endo and PCOS. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. Well, I suppose that's why we are here. So we can empower women to understand this stuff a little bit better. So you have the education or resources to take back to your doctor. So can we take a step back and maybe (laughs) a step back, but then go upstream a little bit and talk about what's actually happening with your hormones, like the relationship between estrogen and testosterone. I know there's a feedback loop that kind of gets jammed up. Can you talk about that communication? Yeah. So I think you have to, you're right. You have to think about, well, what are kind of like the root causes here that are, I always say, you know, hormones don't really just stop working. (laughs) There's usually some sort of issue. And I do think it's, you know, worth noting that there's a lot of theories and there's possibly a few different causes that are, are happening. And I think it's also an, an area where we just don't know Mm-hmm. positively that it's always the same thing. Um, and so I always start, start to like to think about what are the drivers that are most common. And one of the most common drivers behind PCOS that screws up that feedback loop is insulin. So women with PCOS kind of are dealing with, well, most of most women with PCOS, I should say about 70% have like an insulin resistant pattern, um, or maybe a, an insulin resistance diagnosis and too much insulin can cause your androgens to go high. So that like testosterone, DHEAS, so that kind of thing can go high and insulin can simultaneously lower sex hormone binding globulin, which is a male, uh, an androgen binding protein, which when that doesn't, when that's lowered, that means that kind of, there's just more, for example, testosterone able to run amok. So you've got like this insulin causing the high um, male sex hormones, and you also have this lowering of this, basically this binding protein. And so there's just, it's everywhere um, kind of <laughs> going on inside of the woman's body. And so when that happens, there can sometimes be the low estrogen, or again, it can cause like a problem with ovulation. And, um, and then we're not creating the right amounts of hormones inside of our body. And so some, some women experience, like we'll run a Dutch test, for example, which is a hormone test. Um, that I know, you know, pretty well, Lauren, um, and we'll and see Renee. that there, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll see that there's like a ton of testosterone or other male sex hormones and not a lot of estrogen. Sometimes I see a whole bunch of estrogen. So it kind of depends on the woman there. And that's like, I think part of the reason why it's so, so confusing, women. They're like, what's going on? Um, so I always like to start thinking, what are some of the triggers? And we know that there's a genetic, you know, component. We know that even there, I think there was a recent study that talked about early exposure to chemicals in the womb could even be a reason. And I know that, um, there is even, I I believe that there's a, even a test of some sort where they can see that PCOS is present in, in young girls, um, and that they believe what turns it on is like the hormonal changes of puberty um, in some women. But there's also, you know, Dr. Laura Bryden talks about a few different pathways, which I'm happy to talk about, like kind of the types of PCOS that could be going on. Yeah. I just want to make sure we, this is God, this information is amazing. It's so complex, which is so beautiful. It's like, okay, let's make sure we I want to make sure that no one's lost on this. So yeah, we have I love the Dutch test because it has shows this beautiful picture of the relationship between estrogen and testosterone, but that's just like the beginning, right? Then we have to start going through all of the possibilities. And you mentioned insulin resistance, which we love talking about. Um, and it's not necessarily blood sugar balancing. It's what's happening with your, your hormones. But um, if I'm correct, it can start even sooner than that. It could be a nutrition, uh, a nutrient deficiency that could lead into this insulin resistance that leads into this inflammation that's all wrapped up. And it's like, leaky gut, yeah. just never ending cycle. It is. It's kind of 
like a, I feel like a lot of women with PCOS are stuck in a cycle. They're really stuck in a, a few different things that have happened. And, you know, with our, our work as FDNs, we're always thinking about building health across the board. So, you know, when you start trying to go down to one root cause of PCOS, I just think that there's there isn't necessarily one root cause, but if you think about what are the main causes of almost any disease pattern, it's like inflammation and stress. And, mm-hmm. you know, Lauren and I talk as FDNs, I'm sure about there's, you know, mental, emotional stress, but then there's internal stressors. So you betcha a gut, a gut pathogen or a nutritional deficiency like magnesium, for example, or environmental toxins, these could all be at play for, for a woman. And that's why, you know, when I work with someone with PCOS, I really don't chase the hormone pattern. I just don't do that because I think that that's like micromanaging. I try to look at like, is their blood sugar or insulin imbalanced? Do they have, are they eating a food that's causing them to be inflamed? You know, that type of thing. And I can kind of go into that a little bit more too. Yeah. Um, No one loves the micromanager. I think that's such a cool perspective. We really have to step back and see the whole picture. If you're in there just like meddling with, with the details, what are you going to accomplish? Yeah. And you know, it's really easy to do that though. I feel like, especially Mm -hmm. like in functional medicine, let me find that one root cause that one root trigger. And in my experience, it's multiple things. My Hashimoto's was gut issues, birth control, nutrient deficiencies, stress. Like, you know what I mean? There's, um, yeah, you have to look at the whole stress bucket. It's usually very full. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So is it a good idea to maybe start with a Dutch test, see what's going on and then work on those foundational things, nutrition, diet, exercise, stress, sleep, like what's kind of like the step one to three. Okay. (laughs) We're different um, for everyone. Yeah. You know, one, one really helpful tool that might be great. And, um, I'll answer your question directly. And I think this will help to connect it is Dr. Lara Bryden has this amazing, um, flow chart on her blog, which is like, what is the type of PCOS you have? And she really, after 25 years of experience working with women's, um, hormone health, she really says that there's kind of four main drivers. It's like insulin resistant PCOS, um, inflammation caused PCOS, stress, like adrenal PCOS and post pill, um, reaction, um, and PCOS. So, you know, that might be a good place for, for listeners to kind of go and, and look through, cause this, it's a great, um, pathway, but like you said, it's like, well, where do I start? Um, and I think that a Dutch test is great because you're going to, you're going to see some healing opportunities from a Dutch test, right? You're going to see where are the androgens high? Like, are there supplements I can take to kind of shunt things down the right pathway? But I still hold that. I think women can do a lot on their own before they do testing. And then testing is like a next level, like up level. Cause if Mm -hmm. we're not managing our stress and we're eating a whole bunch of sugar, or we're not eating meals that are balanced or, we are sleep deprived or we're drinking a ton of alcohol or our gut is a mess, you know, all those things could be contributing. So if we can look at the basics, like hydration, balancing our our meals and, you know, maybe not drinking so much. I know it's hard during quarantine sometimes for people, (laughs) you know, getting a good night's sleep and kind of lowering our mental, emotional stress, you know, a lot can be done there. And then you can kind of get more... um, into the minutia based off of, of lab, lab testing. Yeah, that's great. Makes sense. Yeah. I think the basics are overlooked something like sleep. We talk about it nonstop. I think people really take for granted all the processes that happen when you sleep and all the recovery that happens. And sometimes just a really good quality night of sleep can reset and propel you in the right direction. I think with quarantine, with all the emotional stressors, if you're not getting that sleep, that emotional stressor could just tip you in the wrong direction. Like, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that your whole cascade of symptoms really was like tipped off by that emotional relationship. Yes, you had some underlying imbalances, but it's like that one thing can just tip the bucket over when you lose Yeah. I love that. I love that analogy. I know we learned that in school, like the stress bucket and it's like all these little things, right? Like, oh, you know, constantly getting six hours of sleep you know, Oh, like, you know, that glass of wine every night or, you know, whatever. And then eventually there's a big enough of a tip of the stress bucket. And, you know, you end up with kind of a diagnosis or, you know, symptoms showing up, but 
Um, I think sometimes we, you know, we have to remember that symptoms are often far removed from the actual diagnosis, right? So we have to look at the whole body and yeah, there's, are there more specific things that most women with PCOS would do well with? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where I think you can work with a practitioner and, you know, look at, did you just come off the pill and you're having like a reaction to that? Or are you deficient in zinc or something, you know, but yeah, starting with the, the, the good old stress bucket and removing things yeah. from that is a pretty good place to start. So simple yeah, for everyone. <laughs> Actually, I heard a doctor this morning. Um, I was listening to a podcast while I was getting ready and he was talking all about sleep and he was using the analogy that like a boat that has a hole in the bottom and it's maybe sinking and it's filling with water. He says, yeah, you can, you know, you can take the buckets of water out. That's like, you're taking the adaptogenic herbs, you're doing meditation every day. He says, but the hole in the bottom of the boat is your quality sleep. And until you plug that hole, there's like nothing else really matters. I mean, it's kind of simplifying it. I love that. Yeah. That's great. Just unloading the stress, but you're never really coming back to ground zero. Yeah. Interesting. Hey, biohackers, Renee here. The truth is people age at different speeds. The date that marks your birthday doesn't necessarily reflect your body's biological age or your inner age. Learning your biological age may seem daunting, but inner age is more than just a simple measurement. It's the starting point for you to take control of your health and wellness journey. Inside Tracker is a personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and now fitness trackers to help you optimize your performance from the inside out. First, they analyze your body's biomarker data to offer you a clear picture of what's going on inside you. Then they provide science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes and track your progress every step of the way. Transforming your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take advantage of our amazing partnership with Inside Tracker and get 25% off. All you need to do is go to insidetracker.com slash biohackerbabes, and you can learn more. Okay. So Sophie, I would love to get back to these different pathways, sort of where we need to look upstream of how we can sort of even end up in this um, situation. And then how do we manage this medically? Like, how do you go to your doctor and begin this process of healing? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that the four pathways that Dr. Laura Bryden outlines, I feel like I'm like, just keep talking about her. She's amazing when it comes to PCOS. They're really helpful for women to think through in terms of buckets or, you know, like that whole stress bucket. So, and I see this all the time in my practice and it's like, there's the insulin resistant group. So there's kind of like a blood sugar insulin resistance issue. And then there's people who are kind of chronically inflamed, maybe more autoimmune. And then there's kind of the stress bucket and then there's post pill. So post pill is basically what happens when you come off the pill and there is a surge in androgens in the male sex hormones that causes a disruption to the natural communication between your brain and your ovaries. And it takes time for the body to kind of reset itself. So in this Mm -hmm. case, like there are definitely things that you can, you can do right to, to help your brain start communicating things like Vitex and, you know, lowering your stress and things like this. But, um, it's really just, sometimes it's just with that one, a matter of time. And so what I, but what I do see happen often is that someone like my client will get diagnosed with PCOS, but really it's a, it's like a symptom reaction to the pill. So, Mm -hmm. so just knowing that that's a possibility, I think is really helpful for women to know so that they're not like, what happened? What's going on? So maybe anticipating that rebound effect and giving it a little bit of time for things to come back to baseline before you, you know, aggressively start to, I guess, micromanage. Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, hormonal birth control can cause or worsen insulin resistance. So it is, you know, probably worsen is probably a better fact. Um, so, you know, thinking about that, like in that fact that insulin resistance and, you know, that can suppress ovulation, you know, I think for some women, they just need some time to, you know, naturally balance their hormones and others might need some more support on the insulin resistant, you know, pathways. So looking at, you know, if that's kind of your cause, like, are we magnesium deficient? Do I need to maybe talk to somebody about, a supplement like myo inositol? Do I need to be getting more fat and protein in my diet to balance out some carbs? You know, am I sleep deprived and that's causing an issue with insulin or smoking is another connection with insulin resistance. 
So kind of going through that, I mean, trans fats, alcohol, unhealthy gut bacteria, um, nutrient deficiencies, all of which could kind of lead back to insulin resistance would be another kind of pathway to think through. And I find that most women do quite well, if that's the kind of case with simple dietary changes and maybe a supplement or two like magnesium or, and, or myo inositol as a, a first step. And with inositol, there can be some genetic deficiencies there, right? Where you're not metabolizing it correctly. So maybe taking the supplement isn't completing that picture. Absolutely. Yeah. And they do believe that there is a genetic component to PCOS, but you know, I think as you guys probably talk about all the time, it's, you know, epigenetics and our environment turns on and off those genes so much of the time that again, mm-hmm. if we, if we start to focus on um, what can we do for ourselves, a lot of times we can, you know, lessen the the blow. And, you know, just to be clear, there is no way to kind of cure PCOS, but I think women can come in and out of it, at least from a symptom perspective, right? Just the same way I kind of will always have Hashimoto's as an autoimmune disease, but I don't have any antibodies. So if I was to get like tested right now, they would never tell me that I had Hashimoto's. Um, but I know that I have a um, kind of a predisposition to developing it again. So I know what to do to kind of keep it in check. Does that make sense? Sure. Same as yeah. uh, like the viruses that are always in our body, they lie dormant. <laughs> and then you have a stressor that's uh, like brings it to the party. <laughs> so we're yeah, just keeping exactly. it at bay. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, so those are, you know, I would think about, you know, the insulin resistant pathway. I would think about, you know, the post pill thing. And then the other two kind of pathways that I see often and um, is like the, the, just straight up adrenal HPA access dysfunction stressor. So that is, you know, and I know none of us want to talk about managing our stress, but it's, um, <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not stressed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not stressed, yeah. um, but that's a, that's a pretty big one. Um, and, and maybe that is a place where you, you know, hire someone like Lauren to help you understand what's going on with your, um, your HPA access and, or just look at how can I, how can I be managing my stress? And then there's just like the inflammatory PCOS. And that could be from like a gut imbalance or an environmental toxin or um, a food sensitivity. And I think, you know, thinking about that, what are the other symptoms? Like, do I have IBS? Do I have unexplained fatigue, headache, joint pain, skin issues? What are those other things that kind of come along with inflammation? Um, And again, a great resource to figure out if which bucket you think you're in is Dr. Laura Brighton's website and her book period repair Man- manual, where she kind of goes through how you can determine which type you might have. I mean, yeah, that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on the ketogenic diet for PCOS? I think ketogenic diet in general is in my opinion, a therapeutic tool. So if someone is, de- if someone, you know, genetically and otherwise does well digesting, you know, fat, then that might be helpful. But I think mm-hmm. be, it just ha- you have to think about the individual person. What is, is a health food for that person? Like certainly going keto is going to help, usually help someone with insulin resistance, right? <laughs> but is it sustainable for somebody? You know, does it screw up other mechanisms for them? I think it just has to be individual. I really do. And I think yeah. the big thing that I see, like if we want to just take it even bigger picture PCOS affects so much of your body and, you know, including fertility, including, you know, just, just a million things, diabetes, right? Like Hashimoto's people with PCOS, there's all these kind of, and correlating things that go along with PCOS. And I think a lot of women with PCOS already feel a lot of shame and guilt. And they're like, what am I doing wrong? And so to then maybe put someone on a super restrictive diet plan could be triggering. And I've seen that, you know, with women when it comes to food and PCOS is like, they've already done, like try to do every restrictive diet that's out there. So I think you just have to be mindful about, you know, is this truly working for me and be checking in with yourself if you're going to try something like that so that you're really supporting yourself, um, on long-term. Um, and I think that's, that kind of falls under the ketogenic diet to me. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's such a great point. 
uh, yeah, a lot of emotions surrounding eating with this, but, um, I love that you mentioned how this affects the entire body because we have estrogen receptors throughout the body, right? It's not just in our reproductive organs. So it comes back to the, the basics, making sure you're getting sleep. I know you've talked about circadian rhythm in relation to PCOS, like you're going to see it everywhere. And if you just come back to those foundational methods, we can alleviate some of that. Yeah. And I, you know, the circadian rhythm specifically for women with PCOS is really important because most women with PCOS have a, um, a skewed melatonin and cortisol a ratio where they go um, up at the wrong times. Um, mm. just making things even worse. So I, I've seen people do really well on like a little bit of melatonin to help them to reset while they're working on, on the deeper healing. Yeah. Mm. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a question, Renee. <laughs> I was just going to say, both like, ah, so many questions. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I'm just kind of like recapping in my head. I mean, you're really showing that you need to be treating PCOS differently for everyone. Like, I don't think it's like, oh, you have PCOS, do these five things. Like, it really is a bio individual program you have to put together. There's so many different causes and plans and therapies. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, with a standard PCOS, or I guess if you like, it's not even the right word standard, but I work with women over six months. I run gut tests. I run, you know, blood work to see if there's nutrient deficiencies, sugar issues, thyroid issues. And I'm looking at their minerals big time, looking at things like heavy metals and slowly, but surely we remove those hidden stressors as we were taught to do as FDNs. And I don't think I've ever once been like, aha, it's this it's just that you're insulin resistant. It's like, well, okay. But she also has gut dysbiosis, which we now know can cause or be a contributing factor to insulin resistance. So, but then like, how did the gut dysbiosis get there? So I think, you know, starting with the basics, seeing how far you can get, and then, and then working with somebody who can help kind of remove those hidden hidden stressors is really important when it comes to PCOS. And I've seen people make such huge strides this way and be able to manage their symptoms in such a easier way with just more happiness and thriving. And, you know, instead of feeling like I have to be on, you know, birth control and metformin and all these things that a lot of women with PCOS just don't want to be on. Mm -hmm. That's really great. So if we're looking at how to speak to our doctor about this, if you don't have a functional medicine doctor, how do you begin to have this conversation? I think I, if you were, you mean, if you, um, if you didn't know you had PCOS or if you were trying to figure out what to do medically, if you have PCOS, let's say the scenario is you presume that you have it based on your symptomology and you have a doctor that's not a functional medicine doctor and is you feel is not giving you, uh, the right attention or the right information. You feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah. Um, I would probably like go onto that androgen access PCOS society website and like print out the definition of PCOS from them and bring it to the doctor and be like, look, I haven't, I have this type of cycle and maybe even like I've tracked it over this amount of time. Here's my chart. Like if you're using a period tracking app or something like that, like this is how my cycle has been. Um, I have, you know, acne or, you know, I'm losing my hair or things like this. So I'm, I'm wondering if I have too much, you know, male sex hormones, um, is that something that you can test me for? And, and can you, um, let, you know, see, you know, basically what would be your process for diagnosing me with PCOS or if there's something else going on. And I would just like, kind of leave it like that. And I always find that when I work with doctors and I bring kind of, here's what I feel is happening and here's kind of the way it's showing up in my body. And here's what I understand. Like, can you help me clarify if that's what's going on for me and really leave it in their, in their court like that, as opposed to like, um, I was on Dr. Google and I saw all these things and I must have PCOS because then they might get defensive. So it's like, Hey, I, you know, I think this thing is happening to me and this is what I understand, but I'm not the professional here. Like how could we go about figuring out if this is what's going on for me? Um, and what would be the game plan there and just ask them and see if you like their game plan. If you don't, you know, there's a million other doctors you can go to and get a second opinion. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting that like most conventional treatments are hormonal birth control, um, and metformin. So, you know, that's just sometimes what people want and sometimes not. And so there's these other things you can do as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, before we wrap up, I almost want to revisit the beginning of this journey, can we just recap the possible symptomology and then how would you qualify a diagnosis? We talked about a lot of stuff and I would just make sure that we can come back to the beginning here and have a very clear picture of it. Would you mind revisiting that? 
Sure. Yeah. So common symptoms of PCOS include acne, um, which is um, acne, alopecia, which is when um, when you lose the hair, kind of the male pattern baldness I was talking about earlier. Then there's the hair that grows in the places we don't want. That's called um, <laughs> hair twism. Um, and yeah, so that's um, a fun one. And so those are, my understanding of this is that those are the ones that kind of qualify as hyperandrogenism, in which case you could tell your doctor about that and ask for a test to see if you are having high male sex hormones like testosterone. And then um, some subsequent symptoms are like infertility, menstrual irregularities. Um, a lot of women with PCOS have miscarriages, obesity, insulin resistance, but those are typically kind of downstream effects. The ones that kind of people use for diagnosis are the hyperandrogenism either through those symptoms or through the lab um, and then and or menstrual cycle irregularities um, and the other one being polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound. So mm -hmm. if you want to think about it like this, perhaps you're not comfortable with a diagnosis of just an ultrasound. You would also want to maybe speak with the provider like, hey, do I also have hyperandrogenism? androgenism <laughs> and, or like irregular cycles, um, and kind of talk to them about that and see what they say about, about that type of diagnosis again, cause there's going to be different doctors that diagnose in different ways. So, right. Great. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Thank you so much for, um, that guidance. Sophie, you're amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so much information. So yeah. helpful. I hope that, you know, it's, it's a lot. And I think that's why it's so confusing. And I just always, I always wish when I had brain fog and fatigue, that someone would just be like, this is what it is. And, <laughs> and this yeah. is how you can talk to your doctor about it and get some support. Um, so yeah. I, I hope I did a good job of explaining this really complex set of. Yes. Systems. You do it with such care. And to our audience, check out Sophie's podcast. She talks health. You have so many wonderful conversations about hormones, fertility, PCOS. I know specifically you talked to Dr. Felice Gersh about PCOS, yes. which is a fabulous episode. Check that out. And also Dr. Laura Bryden's work. Thank you for um, mentioning yeah. that, but you yeah. are a wealth of information and we love you so much. Before <laughs> we wrap up, we always like to ask our guests for one piece of advice that our audience could take away today. Something that they could start working on to optimize their health, wellness, manage stress, whatever comes to mind. Okay. Your health is your health. So what I mean by that is your health is not Lauren's or mine or Renee's. What works for one woman might not work for you. And the most important thing is for you to get curious and stay curious until you find what works for your health. No one anywhere can tell you something that you don't know about your own body. And women have gotten way away from their own intuition. So listen to yourself. It's your body is talking to you right now. And just know that you've got this and it's a journey. That's really awesome. <laughs> I love to stay <laughs> curious. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so gosh. helpful. That's a life lesson. Stay curious in every part of your life, right? But yeah, particularly for women's health. Sophie, you're awesome. Thank you so, so much for joining Thank us. You. Check out She Talks Health. She is on Instagram, on Facebook. Check out her website now on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> Can we mention that? <laughs> on TikTok and maybe Clubhouse. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Clubhouse too. So yes. many things. So many things we can't choose. Anyways, find her. She's amazing. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. Happy biohacking.